Well, good morning, everyone. You know, Eric, we used to do uh, a kickoff with the football, but we hit someone in the face. So we stopped. <laughs> but maybe we should do it again. I don't know. I think we tried to get to the balcony, and then we hit someone. It was a whole thing. Oh, boy. So that's why. There's the history lesson for you, Eric. Uh, well, it's really good to uh, be back with you. We're in Luke. We're continuing on in Luke, so you could turn there. We're at chapter 6. Today, and uh, I looked back, and the last time I preached was May 7th, so it's been a while. Uh, A few of you commented this morning going, oh, you're preaching today, finally, we haven't heard from you in a long time. Uh, I've been, um, a lot of my my Sunday uh, sermons have been over at the First Baptist Church while Pastor Riley was away. But he's back now, preaching there, and I'm really happy to be back uh, with you, uh, with this church family. We, uh, we are away for some vacation in July, and uh, yeah, it's just nice to be back, uh, back home with you in, in Gospel Chapel. So something that I was actually doing at First Baptist, I was going to try here, uh, I was wondering if someone actually would, would um, now I've moved the mic. Would someone come up and read our passage today for us? So it's Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 37, and we're going to 42. So would someone be willing, we can use this uh, mic here, I think, eh, John? Uh, Would someone be willing to come up and read this passage for us today? Yeah? Great, Matt, come on up. Do you have a Bible there? Should I bring mine? Oh, bring yours. Okay, it's maybe a different translation. That's okay. So long as it's the Bible. Yeah. Uh, 37 to 42, chapter 6. Morning, everybody. Luke, chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. But for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, but when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Amen. Um, you got it. That's it? That's it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Cheers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, it can encourage us. It speaks to us. Uh, Lord, it is so good to read from it together as a church, and I just pray this morning that, uh, yeah, we would hear from you, that you'd speak through me, uh, teach me as well, uh, as you already have this past couple weeks with this passage, Uh, and Lord, we just thank you so much. Uh, In Christ's name, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 6, it's an interesting passage. Um, 
You know, I, I was thinking about this passage and just a lot came up for me as I was preparing. And uh, I'm, I'm growing tired of using the uh, word uh, pandemic. I'm already tired of the word pandemic. I don't know if you are. So from here on out, I'll be referring to it as the time that shall not be named. <laughs> Just in case it comes up again. So over the time that shall not be named, uh, it became clear that we, we struggled with specks and logs or specks and planks in our eyes. And as we continue from those days, uh, church attendance has dropped across North America and including just right here in our very own church. And I think one of the reasons for this comes right from this passage. Now, some have started to write the church off completely and figure we're doomed, but I don't think so. I don't believe that. I think we have a great opportunity to heal, uh, and we have a great opportunity to do this with the help of Jesus. So I want to read a quote here from Simon Sinek. It says, If the leaders of organizations give their people something to believe in, if they offer their people a challenge that outsizes their resources but not their intellect, the people will give everything they've got to solve the problem. And in the process, they may even change the world. So this morning, I want to give you that challenge. Today, I want to give you that challenge. There are two things that need to happen to see the gospel advance here in Grand Forks, right here at Gospel Chapel. The first thing is I think we need to correct the vision we have of ourselves. The second thing is we need to correct the vision we have of others. If we can do these two things, we will start to see more people coming to know Jesus because they will see how differently we treat one another and will want to know more about Jesus and this Jesus community, because unfortunately, the same thing that is going on outside of the church around the world, we can see happening inside too. People are hungry for deep, loving community. So I was thinking about this, and the the scene from uh, the movie Home Alone 2, if you've seen this movie, uh, the scene came to mind, you know, Kevin is in New York. He shouldn't have been in New York, but he's all alone in New York, and it's kind of nearing the end of the movie. He's, he's starting to get tired of being alone there. He's scared, and it's nighttime. He's on the streets of New York, and uh, it's pretty dark and scary. And in the distance, he sees this taxi cab, and he runs, and he yells, taxi, and he runs to the taxi, and he's just so relieved in the back seat, right? And he's just so thankful he found some refuge. And he says, boy, it's scary out there. And then the cabbie, the cab driver, turns around, and he's kind of got a bit of a scary face, and he says, ain't much better in here, kid. (laughs) And, you know, Kevin has this look of, like, horror, and he runs out of the cab. And, uh, And I was laughing about this metaphor, but then I thought, you know, in some ways, I wonder if this is a little bit how church is. We have people who, who are not believers out in this scary world, this scary place, they run, they find refuge in, in a church, and they're going, oh, thank goodness, we found something. And we go, ain't much better in here, you know? And they go, oh, it's a little bit disappointing. Now, on some level, that's always going to be true, because we're sinners, we're messy, and so forth. But I thought about this passage, and I thought about this, this story from Home Alone 2, and I thought, you know what? We could do better. Uh, we can be 
be a place that people can run to for help and for love. And I think we are. But in order to accomplish this, we need to start correcting our vision. We need to grow up. So seeing correctly means we have a proper view of ourselves. We have self-awareness. We don't often like this because when we start unpacking who we are and dealing with the past, we don't like what we find. It's difficult work, but it's worthwhile. When we don't do this work, we end up like the parable in this passage. We hide from the reality in our own lives by focusing on other people, pointing out the flaws in others. It's like the quote that says, people in therapy are often in therapy to deal with the people in their lives who won't go to therapy. (laughs) We don't like to acknowledge our own faults. We don't even really believe they are true when others point them out to us. We really struggle with this when we are young, especially. But when we mature, what happens? We start noticing more about ourselves. We start learning a little bit more about ourselves. We look back on our lives and we think, why did I act that way? Why did I make those decisions? Why did I dress like that? Sometimes other people have that perspective before you, and it would be wise for you to listen now instead of later. I remember 12 years ago when I first started, it's almost 12 years to the day, uh, when I first started here at Gospel Chapel, and we, we used to run um, youth Sunday services. And so the youth group would run the whole service and stuff. It was great. And I remember one of those early services that we ran, and, uh, you know, it was what it was, but I, I got this letter um, kind of criticizing the way that it went and, and just some, some thoughts on, uh, on how that service went. And I remember reading that, and I remember going, getting really angry about it. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go up to Alan Gwen Paul's place, and uh, I'm going to have coffee with them, and I'm going to share this letter and talk. So I went up there, and I brought the letter. I said, you know, and as I was reading it, it dawned on me, maybe it was written by one of them. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was, but they never did tell me. So anyway, I, I read this, and I'm like, yeah, can you believe this? Like, what do I, what do, I do with this? And then Al said, well... You know, when people say things like this, uh, you know, it can, it can it's, it's often that they don't hit the bullseye, but often they hit the target somewhere. I'm drinking this coffee being like, I'm going to throw this coffee in your face. Um, so I'm like, oh, great. Thanks for that. Um, now, was that what I wanted to hear? Obviously, when I went up there, what I wanted to hear was someone to go, yeah, let's find out who wrote this, you know, let's, I'm with you. But thankfully, Al, in his wisdom, said what I needed to hear. I was too immature to take it the way I should have, but since then I've grown, or at least I've grown a little bit. I could look back now and I can see growth. The next time someone had some special insights for me, I can have a little bit better response. And could you do the same in your own life if you were to reflect? Which direction are you heading in your maturity? Self-awareness plays a big role here. What about the way I talk about other people behind their backs? Or about perpetually lying or jealousy or on and on, any of those things? Have I got healthier in any way in any of those areas? Have I started to clear my vision 
from the specks and the trees in my eyes on any of those. And this is why church is so good for us. It's why it's so great for our growth. Hopefully there are people within the congregation, hopefully there's people in the church, in this community to tell you, hey, you're a little bit of a jerk. (laughs) Hopefully not, hopefully don't say that, but you know, hopefully they can help you out with that. Uh, And you'll know it's true if your first response is going, well, guess what? (laughs) Guess what I want to tell you about what you do? You know, it's like, okay, here we are, Luke 6, Uh, you know, pointing out their own faults. There's a level at which many of us know that we are sinners, but we don't know we are sinners. We know that technically and biblically we are sinners. We have to be, but perhaps we think of ourselves as maybe not that bad, not that bad of sinners. Or maybe we know there's, there's stuff there, but we really don't want to deal with it, so we try to cover it up. We come off a little bit more polished than we really are. We take the social media filters and apply them to our lives, hoping that no one notices. Or more commonly, as this passage put it, we see specks in other people's eyes, and we direct attention away from ourselves. And this is most prevalent when we talk about other people. The more you try to cover, the more you start to believe it, the harder it becomes to escape it. Deep inside we know, but we keep stuffing it down like a beach ball underwater. And we can all struggle with this, covering behind our spirituality or putting up a front to come off better than we are. It's really hard. We don't want anyone to see the speck or the tree in our eyes. We want to divert attention by any means possible. Have you ever gone to uh, the dentist or to the doctor for a checkup and you have this moment of panic leading up to the appointment where you just go, oh, I know that I haven't really been as healthy as I probably should be. You know, you have this little, this panic attack. You, You brush your teeth for like two hours before the appointment be like, hopefully they don't notice, you know, uh, you floss for the first time in your life. Uh, You panic because you know the questions are going to come. How's your teeth? Do you brush? Do you floss? Why, yes, Mr. Dentist, of course, I do all those things, and I don't drink coffee, and I've never eaten sugar, you know, aren't I great? Or you go to the doctor, how's your health? How's your diet? How's your sleep, your exercise? And you say, great, I'm really active, I never drink, I never have desserts. And then the moment comes, the dentist says, okay, open up your mouth, let's take a look at the teeth. Or the dentist is like, let's take some tests. And you go, oh boy, (laughs) great. I hope they don't catch it. And then of course, they go, oh, you've got a bunch of cavities. Uh, You know, your blood pressure is really high or your liver is barely functioning or something like that. Uh, So then what do you do? You either have to fess up and at least give a little bit more of the truth well, you know, I started exercising in January and I made it three days, you know. Or, yeah, I was flossing once a week about 10 years ago, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Or we come up with excuses. Oh, I was using this uh, experimental toothpaste. Uh, or who, who's got the time? Who's got time to brush your teeth and eat well? But rarely do we ever say, you know what, you got me. I'm a bit of a mess. So here I am, you know, help me out here. We don't have great vision when it comes to our own lives. We don't see clearly. We often think we're a little bit better off than we really are. But here's the beautiful thing. The moment that we start to realize we need help, 
is the exact moment Jesus looks into our eyes and he starts to remove the logjam. To admit the speck and the tree in our eyes means we admit we need a savior. To admit these trees in our lives to Jesus means he removes them and he gets nailed to them to save you. To be emotionally healthy and being comfortable with who you really are is to be in right relationship with Jesus. If you want to help your brother and sister with their vision, you need to have a proper vision of yourself first. You see, the passage doesn't tell us not to judge others. It tells us not to judge others if we can't even rightly judge ourselves. It takes health on your end so you can be clear and gentle with others when you need to be. Otherwise, when you go to help somebody with what's ever in their eyes, what's in their lives, you might just remove their whole eye from their socket instead of the speck. It's not helpful. Start with yourself. Uh, there's this really interesting song that John Maxwell wrote, the famous author and speaker. Uh, I was listening to a podcast where he was talking about this, but the chorus says this. I thought it was pretty good. It says, I got to find myself to know myself, to be myself, to improve myself, to get over myself so I can give myself to you. So I got to find myself to know myself, be myself to improve myself, to get over myself so I can give myself to you. We can't really trust ourselves. The tree is in our eye and we are blind. So if Jesus returned and said, how's prayer going? You know, it's like this doctor's appointment thing. How's your prayer going? How's your generosity? Tell me about your love for me, your passion and love for the church. We should just skip the flexing as quickly as possible and just say, Jesus, take the tree out, please. And again, the beautiful thing is he will do it with gentleness and love. Scott McKnight says this, Jesus' followers know their own sinfulness, their own leaning toward judgmentalism, and he urges them to become agents of grace, love, and forgiveness. In Romans 6.22 it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is everything. That's where we want to be shooting for. Eternal life in Christ. That life is found when we get over ourselves, we admit our vision is blocked, and we need help so we can help others. How do we do that, though? Let's say you are fairly well-adjusted. You know your shortcomings. You're living in that amazing grace that's extended to you from, from God. How can you help others? Well, this, returning to Luke 6 again, it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For, the measure, for with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And then down, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the, out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So for with the measure you use, judge how you would like to be judged. And you know, I was reading through this again, and as all of us probably know when we read scripture, 
you read it and you read it and you read it and sometimes you go, oh, you know, I didn't see this before. Or, you know, you, you, you're growing and, and you go, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. Or at least I think I get it now. I'm going to read it again in a couple years and go, okay, now I think I got it. But I read this and I just had to stop. And I literally just sat there in my office and I was just reading this over. And you know, the Bible talks about treating others the way that you want to be treated. It talks about this a number of times. But I'm not sure I ever completely thought about it in terms of judge others the way that you want to be judged. Judge others the way that you want to be judged. I mean, pretty quick, especially in 2023, we're like, don't judge anybody. That's wrong, you know. But the Bible doesn't say that. Judge others the way you want to be judged. So during the time that shall not be named, during that time, you know what I would have liked, how I would have liked to be judged? I would have loved for people to give me the benefit of the doubt. Maybe cut me a little slack. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if I did that in return? Because I didn't at first. I didn't believe the best in everyone. And you know, some people left our church and I took it personally. I know that's dumb, but I took it personally. If we could get this right, if we could just cut everyone some slack, (laughs) I think the entire church I think the entire world can transform. Imagine if first, when we go to judge others, again, judging others isn't wrong, but imagine if first, when we go to judge others, we start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. What if the first conclusion I jump to, you jump to, isn't soaked in anger or frustration? Years ago, I may have told you this story before, but years ago at a conference that I, I run for youth pastors in Banff, me and my, uh, a friend of, I, of mine were, were running it the, this particular year, and we had rented the school gym to play uh, basketball with the whole group of us. And a group of students were coming out the doors at the time, so we went in those doors, and it was after hours, and, uh, and we were greeted by the janitor who was the one in charge to let us in and stuff. And she really let us have it. She was not impressed. You, you know, it's a safety, it's all this, it's that, and you, you weren't supposed to do that. And she was really, really mad. And we were taken aback, and, you know, we apologized, and we went on with our, our time. And uh, we, we, um, we finished the, the event, and uh, we saw her, you know, cleaning in the hall there as we finished, and a bunch of the guys left. And, uh, and the guy that was running it with me started walking over to, to talk to her. And now I didn't know what Jordan, this, my friend, was planning. But in my head, I was going to say, you know, that was really inappropriate, the way you spoke to us. Um, and I think you should apologize. But thankfully, Jordan spoke first. And thankfully, Jordan's a better pastor than I am. Uh, and he just started the conversation by saying, hey, how can we pray for you? You know, how are you doing? And right away, she just broke into tears, and she just told us about what was going on in her life, and she was like, I'm struggling with my teenage daughter. I have these money issues I'm trying to deal with and all this stuff. So we just prayed for her. We hugged. 
And uh, I don't even know if she said sorry after. It didn't matter at that point. Uh, but we, we prayed and, and we, we left from there. So, of course, the person who needed the most help, who wasn't the janitor, it was me. It was my heart. Gary and uh, Carolyn Friesen have moved in next door. So naturally, they're going to start showing up in sermon illustrations. Um, poor suckers. Yeah, there goes the neighborhood, Tim says. Yeah, that's right. So last week, I was having a, a little bit of a rough morning. You know, there was a bit of fighting going on in the house. Uh, the kids were at each other. The kids were at me. and I'm probably not reacting very well. I'm trying my best. And things were calming down, and I had to go out to my driveway, and, and Gary's right there, you know, and doing his thing and setting up. And I'm just thinking, oh, you know, I wonder how Gary's going to, you know, take, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling it. I don't, I don't want to be a poor neighbor and, and be like, Gary, not right now, you know, just leave me alone. <laughs> not like he would be annoying or anything, but I just don't want to talk. Um, that was my first thought. I was just concerned. But then right away, I thought, you know what? No, I know Gary and Carolyn. They get it. They cut me slack. They know. They've had kids. They, well, they've had kids. You have kids. You know, you get it. And, and I was so grateful for that thought right away. And then I thought, what if we strive for that posture every Sunday? You know, I get it. You know, I've had a, I've had a week too, or I, I know how you're feeling. What if that's the posture we came to on a Sunday morning? You know, during, <laughs> during the time that shall not be named, uh, <laughs> you know, I was going through a lot. I, I was dealing with this, this anxiety because I was afraid of how people would react and what they would say to me after each week going, okay, well, this week we can only have this many people. This week, this is when you can wear the mask. This is when you can take the mask off. Uh, this week, tune into this radio station. You can drive up. You know, wasn't that wild? You drive up and, and tune in. Or this week, this is how things are going to go at youth group. Um, we're, we're doing this now. And, and, you know, I didn't assume I'd get the benefit of the doubt. And some of that was, was perceived, and that's just on me. But it, it, some of it was very real. And, and I, I was thinking about this again. I try not to think about it too much. But I think about this again. I think about this passage. And I thought, you know, if Jesus, if he could be beaten, if he could be stripped of his clothes and he's taunted, and he's mocked, and he's nailed to a cross, and still say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, then surely I can be gentler, more gentle. Surely I can watch how I judge, or I can treat one another. In Ephesians 4, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ooh, that's so good. We are to grow up in every way. We are to grow in Christ, becoming more like him every day. Eugene Peterson says this, 
The human task is to become mature, not only in our bodies and emotions and minds within ourselves, but also in our relationships with God and with other persons. Christ defines our growth to true adulthood. The person of Jesus Christ, who lived 33 years on our planet, trains our imaginations in the meaning of mature adulthood. So we immense ourselves in the Jesus story and find the shape of our lives defined by Jesus. And in Luke 13, there's this parable. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And in this parable, Jesus is the vine dresser. Don't cut the tree down. Let me work with it a little more. Give me more time with Ben. I bet I can get some fruit growing in that guy yet. I bet I can work with Ben. He just needs some more manure. <laughs> he needs a little bit more time. He needs a little bit more water. His heart's maybe a little bit hard. Let me soften it. And we may not notice that growth. We may notice little to no growth in our lives. But Jesus always is up for the work. He never gives up on us. I give up on people way too quickly. Jesus never gives up on us. And I need to do the same. He never gives up for pursuing you, digging up that dirt, getting the water, and giving the intention you need for growth. And just as Jesus is willing to do that work in our lives, so must we be willing to help others grow too. We have to judge the way that Jesus did. I want to read another passage from Matthew. Matthew 18, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It all comes down to being more like Christ going deeper in our relationship with him, trusting him with our insecurities and treating others the way that Christ would. Forgiving because we have been forgiven, just like in this story. If you could make a list of each person you criticized last week and a list of each person you encouraged, which would be longer? 
What about your closest friends? Would they describe you as more fluent in the language of criticism or in the language of encouragement? The attitude Jesus forbids is one of pride. It could involve passing subtle judgment on someone else's looks or intelligence or entertainment preferences or parenting philosophy or schooling decisions or lifestyle and spending choices. It could simply be thinking a little less of someone because they don't share certain similarities with you or, to put it starkly, because they don't remind you of yourself. So what might a spirit of criticism look like? Well, do you take pride in your strong opinions? Do you always feel the need to share them? Do you generally assume you have all the facts? Scripture rings with the truth that all Christians are fellow travelers, fellow siblings, fellow citizens, fellow soldiers, fellow sufferers, and fellow heirs. Let's make sure our thoughts and words about them reflect the eternally deep unity we share. If we want to have better vision, we need to continue to see Jesus more clearly in our lives and the lives of those around us. He is everything. Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And to end this morning with Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May it be so for Gospel Chapel. May our vision improve, and may we mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the challenge. Correct the vision of ourselves, correct the vision of others, and ultimately see Jesus clearly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Even though it's not an easy one to read, especially if we can be honest with ourselves and see that we are in that that story in this passage too. That sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we don't see clearly. Sometimes we think there's a speck in someone's eye when we don't realize what's in our own. Lord, help us to have clear vision of ourselves, to come before you with what we have and to give it to you. We thank you that you died on the cross for us, uh, that you did this for us so that we can see clearly, that we can see you clearly. And when we have that, Lord, may we be gentle with one another May we judge rightly with one another, uh, to encourage one another, to build one another up. And even when 
it can be difficult to do. Lord, you call us to do that. You call us to, uh, to challenge, perhaps just as this morning has been a challenge. It certainly was for me. And so, Lord, I just thank you that you are so gentle, that you are so good and strong and powerful, and you are the only one who has the authority to really let us have it, to tell us how, fall, how far we fall short of you. And you don't. You, you lend your hand out, and you pick us back up, and you hold us tight. And it is so good, and I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that you did die on that cross, that you came back to life, and we can have that relationship with you now. So thank you so much for my friends here today, this morning. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for all the guests that are here this morning. May you have encouraged them as well. And we just pray that you go with us this week and that our first reaction with one another and even those we don't know is encouragement and love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.